And welcome to Carcon Carne, episode 800, sponsored by 90 Days in the 90s, written by Andy Fry. As you're watching this, as you're listening to this, we are weeks away from the big holidays. And if you haven't picked out your gift yet for that bibliophile or that music fan on your list, 90 Days in the 90s is the gift to go with. It's the story of Darby. She's a record store owner in Chicago, and she manages, by jumping on the gray line, to go back in time to the 90s in Chicago. A magical time. I was there. Maybe you were. If you weren't, you probably would like to go back in time and do just that. 90 Days in the 90s, you can get it where you buy books, or if you want it autographed, again, suitable for holiday purchasing, go to 90daysinthe90s.com. It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. Carcon Carney episode 800, 800. I'm James Van Osdell, and this podcast is recorded in my car most of the time. And today I'm in the car. I don't have a guest because it's an anniversary episode. And for this episode, I decided to zero in on 10 memorable moments from the past 800 episodes. They're not the ultimate 10 moments, the definitive 10 moments, because really, how could you narrow down 800 episodes to just 10 moments? These are 10 favorites, and they span a variety of years. Obviously, the podcast is going on its ninth year. A variety of locations, lots of moments from the car, also moments from my home, virtual interviews. I started doing those during COVID for all the obvious reasons, and I still continue to do virtual interviews simply for ease of operation or talking to people who don't live in Chicago and who can't jump in the car. Also, moments recorded off-site. I like doing on-location types of things. I know I have at least one coming up during this episode that was recorded on-site somewhere. And also, for clip selection, a couple noteworthy things, or, yeah, noteworthy things. I didn't include anything from really the first two years of the podcast because I didn't capture video back then. You know, back then, podcasts were, as defined, audio entertainment. So I didn't have a video component that came later. And because I wanted this episode to exist as a video on YouTube and Facebook, as well as a podcast episode, I made sure that every clip had a video side to it. So you won't see anything from the first couple of years. You won't see things that were audio only like Robin Hitchcock, which was one of my all-time favorite interviews. So that's just a little explanation there. Also, nothing from 2022, the year I'm recording this in. Not that there weren't many highlights. There were. I think I'm going to, at the end of the year, do a top 10 from 2022. And so I didn't want to be redundant or just lean in too hard on something I'm about to lean super hard into. So nothing from 2022, nothing from the early days. All the stuff in between is fair game, and that's what you'll hear on this anniversary episode. Another thing you'll hear before each moment is an advertiser. I've been really thinking hard about the podcast advertising model, the challenges, the the intake, everything involved with advertising. It's hard. And I, I just came off a situation where I had a sponsor for multiple months kind of ghost me and not pay me. And it, it sucked. And I realized there's got to be an easier way to do advertising. And there's got to be a way to do it 
to make it more listenable for you. If you're going to have to sit through an ad, it should be entertainment somewhat. I mean, it, it should be. So what I did for this episode, I recruited local advertisers, companies, small brands, people with music out to create billboards going into each of the moments. So each moment of these 10 will have a sponsor, a sponsor billboard from a from an independent brand. I wanted to make it easier for people to be part of the show and for specifically for local brands and businesses to jump in, independent advertisers. I, I think we all, and I'm speaking speaking on behalf of all podcasters, want to capture that big advertiser, that big contributor. They want to capture Nike when really it's, it's much more logical to capture Armalite Industries, who you'll hear. Uh, it's much easier to capture Village Inn than it is Bank of America. And it sounds more natural in the context, at least for me, of what I'm doing. It, it sounds like it should be part of Carcon Carney. So you're going to hear 10 independent advertisers, each very different, uh, each very appropriate as part of the content of this show. And I'm super proud to have them on board. And that said, I think this is the model moving forward. I think a low price price point for advertisers, like super low, get them in for one or two episodes, make them part of the fabric of the show. That's, I think that's what I need to do. So I'll be thinking about that between now and January 1st, and I'll probably have a new model ready to go on January 1st, so that more people can be part of the show, more advertisers can jump in without feeling too much risk, and hopefully uh, a lot of reward, too. That all said, 10, ep 10 episodes to feature, 10 highlights to get into. This is episode 800, and the first highlight, and these are in no particular order, because again, how could I put them in any kind of sequence? The first highlight is sponsored by Off the Street Club, for more than a century, the Off the Street Club has offered a safe haven for kids growing up in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country, Chicago's West Garfield Park. Learn more and make a donation today at offthestreetclub.com. Hope has a home at Chicago's Off the Street Club. And the first highlight is a musical highlight. I didn't always have performances in the car, but the person who broke that ceiling or shattered that ceiling for me was old friend, frequent Carcon Carne guest, Josh Caterer of Smoking Popes. And now, of course, of solo work, Josh Caterer. Josh first performed on Carcon Carne in 2015. It was December 1st, 2015, episode 39. We're on episode 800. Episode 39, Josh shattered the ceiling. He was the first performance in the car. I'm not going to play that performance. Instead, I want to jump to episode 85. It was something that Josh did when we recorded at Epic Deli in McHenry. October 22nd, 2016 was the date. Josh Caterer jumped in the back seat and he played this. It's Simmer Down. It is highlight number one on episode 800, sponsored by Off the Street Club. Simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. Oh, 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 oh. 
keeps burning on and burning on. And I don't want to simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. Simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. Oh, I don't want to simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. I don't want to simmer down. Oh, It's funny, I had to remix the audio of that because when I started doing video, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I did live streaming on Facebook Live and I didn't have a way to hook up the microphones to my then Samsung Galaxy S9 phone. So the audio you heard was just what you heard through the phone. I've since learned how to marry or synchronize the microphone audio to the video audio and i think it sounds much better like that that was awesome josh caterer on carcon carne the second clip the second highlight tonight brought to you by the bomb shelter dan precision founding member of iconic chicago bands rise against 88 fingers louis he's been recording music artists for over 20 years if you or your band i know i have a lot of musicians who watch this and listen to this show if you or, or your band are ready for professional production at a punk rock rate Contact Dan at bombshelterchicago.com. All right. Clip number two comes from Chris Franz of Talking Heads. Talking Heads, easily, easily one of my favorite bands of all time. Talking to Chris was a real thrill. I mean, I, I don't get nervous before interviews. This one I was excited for. I, I had lots of nervous energy, I, I think, before talking to Chris Franz. This was from episode 427, August 13th, 2020. This was during the pandemic. I was doing all my shows from home. It was quarantine con carne. Chris was on his promo tour for his autobiography, the highly readable Remain in Love. And in this clip, I took things in a pretty fanboy direction with no regrets. Can I just rattle off five Talking Heads songs and get your first impression of them? Certainly. Let's go to Pulled Up. Pulled Up. Uh, it's, it's a very, very sweet and... Uh... Well, it's a driving song. It's really up-tempo, but the lyrics are very sweet about mommy, daddy, come and look at me now. I'm a big man in a great big town. It's like, look at me, mom and dad. I made something of myself. And uh, it's a, that's a nice feeling. The big country. The big country is um, a song that was... Uh, to my way of thinking, loosely based on uh, Neil Young's style. And, and uh, it, it, it's David's point of view. Uh, uh, but one great thing about uh, David's lyrics is there, he will often go where somebody wouldn't, somebody else would never go. 
which is I wouldn't live there if you paid me to. <laughs> um, most people wouldn't say, uh, Willie Nelson wouldn't say that about America, but, but uh, David Byrne would. And uh, people seem to respond to that, that statement. Uh, I guess they could relate to it. Well, what takes the edge off, I think, is following it up with, I wouldn't live there, no siree. Like, yeah. coming like Archie Andrews in the 1950s, kind of took a nerdy turn there. Yeah. Uh, memories can't wait. Memories can't wait is, uh, to my way of thinking, the, probably the heaviest song that Talking Heads ever recorded. Um, it's almost metal at times, almost. But it also has these uh, Beatlesque chord changes, and uh, particularly on the vamp going out, where it goes down, 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 down. It, it's uh, very Beatly to me, and and uh, I I always like the idea that there's a party in my mind, and it never stops. I mean. Please. <laughs> what, what do you think of the living color version? Great. It was that, that version was recorded, but I mean, they were a damn good band and, uh, are they still together? Maybe yeah, they, I saw them a couple years ago at city winery. They were great. Cool. Well, uh, that was recorded and produced by Ed Stasium, who did our first album talking Heads 77. He engineered it. He was, he was not the actual producer, but he was sort of the de facto producer. And, and he also worked on many, many albums with the Ramones. And uh, yeah, Ed, Ed did a good job for them. Naive Melody. Naive Melody is perhaps the most unpredictable and tender Talking Heads song. Uh, that we ever did. Uh, I think at the time David was falling in love with uh, the woman that he eventually married, and uh, it, it was it was very unusual for him to express the feelings that are expressed in that song, like uh, "Love me till my heart stops," "Love me till I'm dead." It, it was it was very. Uh, it was uh, usually David was talking about not being in love and and having no compassion and not wanting get out of my life that that type of thing, but but this one was just the opposite. It was about inclusive and the warmth of you know a real love between a man and a woman and uh, and a love of place uh, like a love of the comfort of your home and your, your pipe and your slippers, you know? Uh, since we haven't really talked about little creatures at all, the lady don't mind. The lady don't mind was, uh, what kind of a sad song somehow. I, 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 I remember rhythmically, I, 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 I spent a, a good deal of time, uh, what you hear on the record is not the first drum beat I played. I, I, I ended up doing an, I, I guess an almost a, a reggae type of uh, 
reggae or somewhere between reggae and uh, the in crowd by the Ramsey Lewis trio. <laughs> and, and, um, and the lyrics are, are sad about a woman uh, who's uh, about to jump out the window. Yeah. And it's uh, a metaphor. Yeah. Did you ever see the video by Jim Jarmish? The video is pretty good. Clip number three is sponsored by the Nubile Fangs. Chicago's garage R&B band, the Nubile Fangs, are playing their 30th anniversary show. I knew them when. Their 30th anniversary show with all original members on Thursday, December 29th at the Beat Kitchen in Chicago, along with Outronaut. Doors are at 7. Find out more at nubilefangs.com. All right, so clip number three. I, music is obviously a sweet spot for me. I love music. I, I know musicians. So more often than not, you probably hear and see musicians on Carcon Carne. That said, all are welcome. I've said this a kajillion times. Anyone with an interesting story, anyone who's interesting is fair game for the guest list of Carcon Carne. I welcome professional athletes on Carcon Carne. They're really hard to get to the point where I've tried and tried. I've done outreach to the Sox. I've done outreach to the Cubs. I've done outreach to the Hawks and Bulls. It's really hard to make any kind of inroad if you're not a sports broadcaster or podcaster. So it got to the point where I more or less gave up. It's just it's it's too difficult. That said, I welcome them and I I, I appreciate the rare opportunities I have to speak with professional athletes. This is one of them, and I'm including it because I thought it was it was just cool, and it was a nice chance to sit down to talk to a White Sox hero, a former Southside hitman. I talked to Eric Soderholm at a golf tournament. This was in 2019, October 5th, 2019, episode 274. Uh, Eric was in the Sox, or with the Sox, in 77. It was just cool to talk baseball instead of music for once, and it should be noted I had no voice whatsoever for this podcast interview. I, I had laryngitis at the time, uh, but I rallied. I did the best I could to talk to a Southside hitman. It's the first time I've ever done an interview in a car with microphones <laughs> all set up, man. This will be the only time. So let's be clear about that. <laughs> a former Southside hitman sitting next to me. Wow. You're bringing back a lot of years ago. Well, that, that, I go to I go to golf outings now, and they and the young kids look at when did you play? And oh, it's no. like it's 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 humbling, but I get it, man. I'm old now. <laughs> but in the late seventies, I mean, that was that was peak you, right? Like 1977, 1978. Yeah, you were unstoppable. We had uh, an interesting team that Bill Beck put together. It was a bunch of misfits. Um, I came from the Twins. I had a bad knee. Richie Zisk uh, came from the Pirates, and. Oscar Gamble from from I can't remember where he was from, but oh, somehow we gelled and we set a record that year for the most home runs hit by a single team. Since got broken a lot, but uh, back then that was uh, uh, I don't even remember the number. I think 192 or something like that. Uh, it was just a year that nobody expected us to be any good, and then when all of a sudden the underdog is good, we had a five game lead in August, and we were putting 30, 40, 50 thousand people in the stands almost nightly it was a magical magical season and uh, while we did not win that year the last month of the season i think we were 15 and 15 so we didn't collapse it's just at kansas city hal mccray and george brett and those guys they just got really hot i think they went like 23 and 7 the last month of the season you know so they went by us like we were standing still Irregardless, it was a magical season, though. And, and for you, I mean, yes, for Chicago, for the Sox, 
for the team, yes. But for you, I mean, comeback player of the year um, in '77. It was well. It was it was great for me because I mean the doctors had said I I really have less than a fifty fifty chance of ever playing again after hurting my knee real bad and I had worked out with Nautilus. Uh, they were a new company coming on the scene and Dick Buckus and myself um, were contacted and they wanted to rehab both of us and and uh, uh, they said look we'll rehab you for free if uh, we can use the filming of the rehab and use it as a promotional thing to help put Nautilus on the map and it worked out great for both of us it didn't cost me anything and uh, they ended up uh, uh, putting Nautilus on the map uh, you were an influencer before that existed well uh, you know it's um, I think when you when you leave this world they're not going to remember how many uh, how much money you had in your bank account or what kind of car you drove or whatever but they're going to remember if you were able to inspire people Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to leave uh, knowing that I helped inspire a few people, whether it be staying in shape, uh, you know, or, you know, working out, or um, getting your own act together spiritually—not religious, but just feeling good about who you are. Because I just have learned over the years that it's it's so important. All right, the next clip is courtesy of Armalite Industries. Oh man, all the music they put out, Pig. Jim Davies, Dead Animal Assembly Plant, Chris Connolly, Armalite Industries, industrial music for industrial people. From London to Chicago and beyond, visit Armalite.com for music that's filthier than your mom. Their words. All right, brought to you by Armalite. This is a lengthier clip, and it's one I really wanted to include because it was I thought it was really an impactful moment on the show. A really interesting message, a fascinating story. Broken Robots joined me for the first time on February 17th, 2020, episode 309. It's a rainy night. Uh, we ate punchkeys from delightful pastries in the car. And Kat and Tony specifically from Broken Robots shared their story, a story of finding each other through drugs. The story is breathtaking. And their story could have had a, a much more horrible ending or just a horrible ending. Yeah. All right. Is it fair to say? Oh my God! <laughs> in the year 2020, you and you are lucky to be alive, let alone not in prison. 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100. percent That's something. When I first started listening to your music, I didn't know your backstory. Uh, your backstory is scandalous. It's salacious. It's it's sad to an extent. Very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it wasn't not even four years ago, like a little over three. Kat and I were both homeless, living in a car. That's That was our home. We were driving around. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> really addicted to drugs. What was and that, like a, a Monte Carlo, like a 99 Monte yeah, Carlo or something? Yeah, Monte Carlo. And, you know... Now, how did you meet? Did you find each other because you were both addicts? <laughs> this is great. Oh, so, uh, I was working this sales job because, you know, I, when I was younger, I always wanted to be a musician. I practiced. I wrote an EP when I was a teenager. You know, I bought myself a guitar and I was learning and everything. But I think I let the world get to me a little bit, and I I got, you know, a real job in sales and, like, doing this. And I was just kind of, like, miserable. But I used to see Tony every day because I would go on sales routes, and he would be panhandling at the exact same highway exit, Lake Street and 355, every day. And I give him a couple. I know exactly bucks. where it is. Yeah. yeah, probably saw me there. Yeah, you I used to work over him. there. Yeah, I had a beard. There's I had a Walmart a, right over yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I used to give him dollars and cigarettes, and then uh, 
we just started talking and realized we had a lot in common, and then we just started running around being mischievous together for a while. Side know? note, Kat had a nefarious past before that, though. Oh, yeah. So no, it wasn't it like wasn't, it was, like, all of a sudden. No, I had my own drug problem. Tony didn't give it to me. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. I wanted <laughs> yeah. to clarify that. We just had that in common as well, you know. So, um, yeah, it was pretty intense, but... Are you both local? Are you both local? Did you grow up in the area? Did you... She was farther north. I'm like, yeah, I grew up in kind of like the Island Lake, McHenry area, and then I moved to Crystal Lake, and I was there until, you know, I was maybe 17, and then I've I've been all over the place, but I'm from like northern Illinois. And you found drugs and fell into that? It's very common in the more rural suburbs right now, especially up in the Crystal Lake area. Um, They've been doing a lot of work, McHenry County, to get their overdose numbers down which is awesome they've cut it in half over the past few years but we were experiencing an epidemic it, it was huge and it's still going on especially with you know some of the other things that are being cut into street drugs now but yeah i mean i was i started i developed a terrible intravenous heroin problem by the time i was 16 years old by the time you're 16 yeah 16, dude. and i i know this stuff happens and now i know people this has happened too it 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 still sounds shocking to me. I guess it is shocking. It's supposed to be shocking. Yeah. 16 years old. How about you? What, what? I have a different story, um, but it all it ends up kind of the same, which is just misery, you know. But I uh, I went to school for engineering. I'm an audio engineer. I, I had good jobs and uh, did everything right. <clears throat> and basically, um, I had an anxiety issue that I, was, I never tended to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, I went out to Arizona. I came home. And I just couldn't get out of a funk. It was a depression that I've never experienced. And uh, I just, I was taking a lot of pills just to kind of self-medicate. I was still being, function, we call it a functional addict, still able to make it to work and everything. And then somebody, you know, literally just randomly gave me some heroin to snort. And I was kind of in a place, you kind of, you reach a point where you're just like, why not? You know, like what, what's, you know, why not? And uh, it's kind of helpless and kind of sad, but I did it and it was off to the races. I woke up and it was almost nine years later and Jesus yeah and um you know towards the end uh it got really bad with my hand oh uh, yeah show the camera yeah. um you can hold it up yeah it's pretty bad I uh I lost the use of my middle finger pretty much on my guitar playing hand and uh they had to do two open hand surgeries to re-put to I was told I was gonna lose it so and explain how, how that happened that was um from shooting from shooting heroin and it just got infected. Yeah, when you, know? you when you miss the veins, yeah. sometimes uh, pretty graphic. Get, but yeah, yeah it does get. It's graphic, real though. This, I, is this is important for people. Yeah, to it see really and is. And I don't. I want to really be clear that we're not glorifying anything. We're not no. romanticizing oh, not. anything because um, the reason we want to push this story so hard is because we there are so many people that are still out there and like you have to know that there is hope. I mean, I was panhandling just four years ago. You like you can do it. So well, so I guess I mean to fast forward. Music really did, in many respects, one hundred percent saved our life. But I, I guess, how did you get there? How did you? Okay, well, it wasn't easy, and we failed many, many times before it. Start with the guitar. Yeah, well, <laughs> the guitar. But the one great thing is, like, Cat and I developed a relationship and a friendship before we ever actually used drugs together, which is interesting. We would go to the city to get the drugs, but we would not use them in front of each other. That is interesting because we liked each other, mm-hmm. and so we knew what that meant. We knew that would be the end of something if we did mm-hmm. it together. So it took months, and then we finally did, and we got really bad. But uh, towards the end here, uh, we wound up, or you want to say about the guitar? I was just going to say, uh, Tony, when we were hanging out, you know, like, I just meet him on the side of the road. I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's making everything up. So right. he goes on and on about, you know, we're doing these long drives. I, you know, go to the city, drop him off back 
where I found him, you know, and uh, during this time he'd talk about music, producing music, all this music stuff, he used to be a great guitar player, and I'm like, alright, so then one day I showed up with my acoustic guitar, and I was like, show me, and he did, and he, for how swollen his hands were, I could tell that he had some sort of soul, like, with music that was really important and and it shone through like even at the time like his hands were just so swollen and mutilated and he still would play the guitar and seeing that was amazing you know and and when we did you know we finally got caught up with a, a charge here a charge there um had to go to rehab a charge a possession charge yeah, yeah possession, possession charges charge. yeah and i uh, wound up going to prison for mine I, yeah it was my way out because i couldn't stop i tried everything i've been to rehab a million times any other addict will know what I'm saying. You just it's a revolving door sometimes. But uh, I uh, I finally got caught a couple times. Actually, I didn't start getting caught by the police until she entered my life. So I don't know what happened there. But anyway, um, that second charge, I just said I told the judge to send me away because the rehabs aren't working. And he was like, "You know what that means, right?" I'm like, "Yes, please. I need to literally be locked up." And uh, they sent me, um, yeah, they sent me away for like six months, you know. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty rough. But when I came out, um. <clears throat> I was still on some BS a little bit, and so was she. We hadn't talked for months. Were there drugs in prison? No, absolutely not. Anyone that tells you there's drugs in prison, absolutely not. There are there are cases in in jail, prison, prison, but typically it's such a a highly um, punishable thing that it's just not worth it. It's not worth it in county jails. Yes. Yeah. County jails, absolutely. Prisons, not so much. It takes a lot of work to get because you know. The COs took the prisons back over. It used to be kind of run by the inmates. And yes, there was drugs back in the day. Not anymore. Got it. So, um, yeah, I was terrified, but I knew it was something I had to go through, and I went there. And hey, I got- I, I, let's, let's stop there. <laughs> the fact that things were so bad, things were so low for you, prison was a better option. Yes, that's where I was I at. mean, for a lot of us, myself included, I think like the most frightening thing that could ever happen to me is going to jail. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think for a lot of people, that, that's like the absolute most terrifying prospect. You chose that over the way your life was going. That, yeah. that's, that, I think that says a lot. Yeah, Addi- addiction it, is a jail in and of itself. Sure. Oh, it's definitely a prison. You can't go anywhere, and you're kind of controlled by this, you know, and it is a disease. You know, like, you just, your brain becomes so warped, and it your brain doesn't know any better. Your brain doesn't know that the drugs are killing you. All the brain knows is that it takes the pain away. And the next clip is brought to us by Wolf Den Brewing Company, a family-owned small business in Bloomingdale, Illinois. Get cozy in Wolf Den's historic farmhouse taproom, it's awesome, while sipping on a variety of fresh-from-the-tank beer. Wolf Den features a dog-friendly quarter-acre beer garden, small food menu, and rotating seasonal cocktails. With a little something for everyone, Wolf Den is the perfect place to celebrate the holidays with your friends and family. Wolf Den Brewing. You may have heard me say this before. I'm at the point in my life, in my adult life, where Carcon Carne is essentially my social life. I know that for at least once a week, I'm going to be having an interesting conversation with someone outside of work and home. It's social. And every now and then, I'm able to create lasting friendships with this podcast, which is about the coolest byproduct of this podcast I can imagine. This next clip is an example of two such friendships that I've generated through the podcast, uh, which exists beyond what you hear. And this was the first time I had both these people on the podcast together. Daryl Wilson of Chicago punk band The Bull Weevils and Dennis Buckley, he of Chicago punk band 88 Fingers Louie, jumped in the car. We ate at Dante's Pizza on Milwaukee Avenue. And 
I just I enjoy the hell out of these guys, and I, I enjoy seeing concerts with them, being social with them in real life. But this was my first time hanging with the two of them together in the car. This is where a bromance started with this particular episode. Episode 153, recorded on March 19th, 2018, again at Dante's when it was on Milwaukee. And it started by Daryl talking about how he and Dennis met, starting with Dennis's 1990s apparel choices. You know, he used to wear, like, jam shorts. And, That's not true. Um, hats. He was listening to Jesus Jones at the time. Oh, mm. I still do. Mm-hmm. Right here and right now. Mm-hmm. And so... International bright young thing. He was. He was a bright young thing. Real, right real, and real. Yes. <laughs> those are... Real, that's it. Real, real, real. After those three songs, I got nothing left. Well, no gas left I, in the tank yeah, no, for but, Jesus Jones. But, you know, Dennis was, you know, hanging out with our friend Eric, Eric. Yeah. back in the day. So buddy Eric threw us all together. We all met up, hang out. Like and boil shows. Yeah, boil shows. Yeah, that's back in the day. Yeah. Guitar shows. Yeah. And that's just cool. We all liked Dennis. We all to hang out. We hang out in my apartment that was like the size of this car. Yep. <laughs> did we do the did we do the um, Forest Park apartment before New Year's Eve though? Because that was like the um, New Year's Eve in Elmwood Park watching Freaks and Far Out Man. That might have been the catalyst. I think it was. New Year's Eve 92 and then 93 was Yeah, and like, then you became like fast, fast friends. Yes. Remember, you used to have to take the train back. We'd have to drive you to the train. Yeah. We were always annoyed. Like, why can't you just get a goddamn car? <laughs> Something's never changed. I know. <laughs> 25 years later. <laughs> so, but Dennis was hanging out with our friend Eric, and he started hanging out with us. And he just became our fast friend. We were just buddies. We just joke around about everything. We always had the same jokes. Yeah. And so we'd always <laughs> do things like watch these movies on VHS back in the day. Like one of our favorite movies is Stir Crazy. <laughs> I thought you were making that up. No. No. no, no that no. is like one of our favorite movies. No. So, and, and the reason why it was one of our favorite movies is not only is it the probably the most quotable movie I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. If you remember, when we watched that, you and I were the only ones crying from laughing. Everyone else is like, <laughs> this is a funny movie. That's how you weeded everybody out. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Like everybody was like, guys, it's not that funny. And we're like, uh, yeah. No, yeah. It totally it's, is. Right, funny. I mean... And so we think that we're like Richard Pryor and freaking Gene, Gene Hack Wilder. or Gene Hackman, Gene, Gene Wilder, Wilder. Gene Wilder. So, <laughs> so we always make jokes about that stuff. I and mean, we always have these jokes about things that's funny. Yeah. We get in the same situations. We're kind of just that goofy. We've been buddies since that time. This clip is brought to you by the Village Inn, Village Inn Pizzeria Sports Bar and Grill. It's located at 8050 North Lincoln Avenue in downtown Skokie. Come check out the Skokie Cheers and the best pizza in town. And the pizza is really good. The Village Inn in Skokie. And this clip, uh, this was a big one for me. Tiffany, superstar, Tiffany, pop star, Tiffany, jumped in my car fearlessly. I, I, I couldn't believe how natural the whole experience was. She, not not a diva at all. Tiffany was about as down to earth as it gets. She and guitarist and, and songwriter Mark Eberici jumped in, jumped in the car. We recorded at Caddyshack in Rosemont for episode 233. And uh, it went so well, we did an episode just over a year later, because we, we're, we're close now, we're, we're good friends. But this was where it all started, Tiffany on Carcon Carne. All the stories about you, all the reviews about you, tend to hold you up to that stratospheric success you had as a teenager. Everyone still wants you to be Tiffany the teenager, Tiffany the mall queen, Tiffany the, the pop superstar. It, it, in a sense, it's like they don't want you to grow up and Right. And Annoying, yes. Yeah, well, that was my question. Does, does that even throw you off or make you roll your eyes or are you just like whatever? Um, it does make me roll my eyes a little bit. Um, 
to try to eat and talk and, and at the same time. That's the challenge. Notice I'm not eating. Now, I know. <laughs> I get it now. I see what's happening. That's the pro um, move. Yeah, you know, I just keep doing what I do um, and just keep pushing the issue and just keep performing live because that's really what I am, a live performer. And, um, and taking it to the people. Um, I think for a while it was about, you know, wooing the industry mm-hmm. and that the industry is so, the music industry is so up and down. A lot of well, avenues certainly not what it was have when you closed started. off and, you know, and then there's other opportunities. So you have to work it for yourself. But I think for me, me mainly is overcoming that hump. It's just taking it to the people, just taking it to new fans, my, my old fans who've been with me for 30 years. Um, and as you, if you're loving what you're doing and you're excited about it and it's good stuff, then it's going to find a home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've gotten frustrated over the years because it's just like, we love this new single, you know, back in 2000, I had great reviews and Rolling Stone and all kinds of things going on that you just can't imagine you hope for, but it, it started falling out of the sky. And the biggest thing was great song, but it's Tiffany. Right. And that was so, you know, frustrating. So, I mean, you know, I did Playboy to get, <laughs> to get around that one a well, little was bit. Was that like a declaration of... It just happened. I was asked at the same time, and I was so frustrated with working my record and having that image. The mall girl, the one-hit wonder, the 15-year-old, and I thought, well, it's definitely going to show a different side. <laughs> Literally. Um, and so I went, I, went, I went for it, and it did. It kind of helped in a weird way, in its own weird way, because it did a different image, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think now, full circle, it really is about just, you know, having great musicians with me, my full band, um, and doing, you know, doing the work. Mark's an animal. Mark He's... is an animal. <laughs> I am. Terrible. <laughs> well, another thing people will say, you know, Tiffany's reinvented herself with a new album. But really, it's it's not a reinvention. It's an evolution. Yeah. Um, I've been doing this for a while. Like I said, The Color of Silence was kind of my first turn um, to say that, you know, really, there's a, there's a rock edge to me that's always been here. I want to show that side. I want to... You know, be known as a live performer. I want to tour with a real band, a full band. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's very easy for somebody like me, especially in the 80s, to get stuck as a track artist. And of course, I've done that as well. Mm-hmm. I love doing the retro stuff, don't get me wrong. But, you know, it is very limiting. And it's not showing my full potential. For so, sure. you know, there's, as any artist, you want to grow and you want to show what's in your heart and what you think you can do. And you should be able to do that. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Um, you know, and like I said, just working on, we're already working on the new album, riding in the back of the bus, but having great musicians around me and having people who have inspired me. And, and I think, you know, after the color silence, I worked with a lot of producers who said, yeah, 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 we'll, you know, we'll do that. Sure. It'll be rock and everything. And then they watered it down slowly and it was just a pop record. So that's why you haven't seen those things from, you know, they won't make the light of day because I nixed the whole project, spent a lot of money. Sometimes I went, eh. I don't really like this. It's not right. But when Mark came around, and that was it. I mean, it was the first person who's really taken me serious. He was like, well, why why can't you do a rock album? I'm like, well, here's how that went. But, you know, after a while, when you're just around people who are like, do it. If you love it, do it. Do you, think, it. Do you think your fans? I said, well, I think my fans would love what we're doing. And it really was about working with him. Um, because you never know if it's going to gel or not, you know, you hope even with your circle of musicians that you're around that good songs are going to come. But if they don't, it's very awkward. All right. This clip is a big one. This was a, a game changing one 
for the podcast. And it's brought to you by Off the Street Club. For more than a century, the Off the Street Club has offered a safe haven for kids growing up in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country, Chicago's West Garfield Park. Learn more and make a donation today at offthestreetclub.com. Hope has a home at Chicago's Off the Street Club. The clip in question, Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins jumped in the car. This was November 27th, 2017. He jumped in along with Sherry Shaw, uh, who is in charge of all the music for his NWA wrestling promotion. This was episode 135, Billy Corgan. Uh, It was a weird one. I've interacted with Billy Corgan off and on through the years, and I never once have been sure whether or not he likes me. I don't think he does, uh, but I don't know if that's him playing a part or a character or if he just generally doesn't like me. I don't know. I like him. I like the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, but this, it was a weird show in general because he was defensive from the get-go and maybe even a little critical of Carcon Carney. But we started talking about how at that time, Billy was generating clickbait headlines for saying something nice about the band Nickelback. I should be grateful because I, I wish I would get more clickbait headlines for saying nice things. That's what I was going to say. Don't let that uh, deter you from saying nice things right, in so the future. You are a true professional. JVO. Okay, do one for me. Let's hope we go get some clickbait out of that. <laughs> Say a nice thing about me. That will right shock Right now, the Illinois media. entertainer's tweeting. That's... <laughs> Can you believe he said this? But I, I guess the question is, haven't you learned to tune that stuff out? I mean, by, by necessity? No, no, it's more, it's more, a, it's more amusement. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not a tune out thing, because I don't read it. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that sounds strange because I'm talking about it. I, 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 I had done an interview with um, a major publication and I wanted to see if the interview would come out because sometimes I like to see mm-hmm. sort of what they quote what they take out whatever sure. and in in looking for that that's the first time I'd seen the, the the Nickelback clickbait headline so I was sort of surprised by that because obviously it's been whatever five six days since it it went down so that shows you I'm so not in touch with the flow of things so I, I find it more amusing because it's like wow this is sort of very strange I mean in the last year or so I've had the Disney sad Disney meme the <laughs> Nick back, and then I've had shapeshifter clickbait. Um, the best. So I, I, this goes back to what I, I like said. I said I'm a meme now. But this goes back to what I, I said earlier. You're much more comfortable with, at least outwardly, with your celebrity and just the world in which we live in now. You seem to take it all in stride. The goofiness. Yeah, I, I, I it's, to does. repeat myself, I, I literally feel how I felt in 1987. Mm-hmm. That the, the media, as it's constructed currently, is a false construction. Um, they pick winners and losers based on some sort of weird popularity contest, which I learned, trust me, you know, back in Glendale Heights that I wasn't going to win that contest. So I didn't assume I was going to win it when I was on the world stage. So um, once I once you sort of see that and figure it out and you realize that you're dealing with a false construction, there's nothing to win. There's nothing to accomplish. The only thing that worth, that's worth accomplishing is here's the music. Mm-hmm. Here's the show. Everything else is really a distraction. And if you try to play that game or game the system or or think you can kind of wink along with it and somehow it's not going to lap up at your feet like a like a, a tidal pool of waste um that was a poetic way of not saying shit um <laughs> i once you figure that out it gets really easy i mean the world is just as false as it's ever been and 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 i i really think i sort of in a piscean way bought the utopian ideal that the internet was going to bring us together and, of course, now it, with the empirical data that we have, all it's done is drive us further apart. No doubt. But uh, I'd like to go on record because he gets a bad rap about maybe being a little crabby, a little hard to work for, right? Maybe? A I don't know bit. about this. <laughs> but he's, he's 
funny and joyful and fun to be around and he's never he's nothing what you're like really saying, saying is that the character i play in television is not the real person right correct right so obviously i just i chose to play a cranky character on on purpose because i thought it was funny and it's still funny it is funny and this clip is brought to you by In The Loop Magazine, Chicago's most eclectic, independent music publication, bringing you live performance videos, concert photos, in-depth interviews, formative reviews, special events, and more, starting in the heart of the Chicago music scene, expanding to the global stage. Check them out through one of their online outlets for bonus behind-the-scenes clips, giveaways, and special guests on top of their daily reports, In The Loop Magazine. One of the really exciting things, one of the reasons I've always loved being around Chicago's local music scene is those moments where an artist that was just a local artist starts to take off. And you can see that artist gain traction on a regional, then national level. It's always been a thrill to, to watch that evolution. And there have been instances throughout the life of Carcon Carney where artists have evolved and it, they just... They just grew, and it was really cool to kind of be there at the ground floor. This, I think, was one of those moments. Philip Michael Scales jumped on the show. This was during, like, right at the beginning of COVID, March 26th, 2020, for episode 326. I, I, I've caught so many artists on the way down. This was a fun one to catch on the way up. Philip Michael Scales played in his kitchen. This is a performance clip. Uh, he just has this, this infectious enthusiasm and energy uh, he's also B.B. King's nephew, which as he continues to grow and evolve, I think that fact is less and less relevant to what he does. I think it was an easy thing for people like me to relate to in, in meeting Philip and talking to him. But as he grows and creates his own legacy, it's almost just kind of like a footnote. Oh, yeah, he, he's B.B. King's nephew. He played in his kitchen. His new release, uh, Sinner Songwriter, is out now. This is him doing the song Gold on Carcon Carne. Song's called Gold. The last love I left you real there You still feel it You came to have a drink with the scar You don't wanna let me in I can't blame you I'm just a pretty face at the bar Love is a heavyweight boxing match Don't pull punches, no, it don't hold back Last time I knocked you out cold But this gold in my soul If you ever want to know me You've been burned before There's more to your soul If you ever want to show me I'm outside Yeah. 
heard before, girl, I can see the proof. I do whatever it takes. I wanna be with you. There's gold in my soul. If you ever wanna know me, well, you've been burned before. But there's more to your soul. If you ever wanna show me, I'm outside your door. There's gold in my soul. This highlight is brought to you by the Push Puppets' new album, Allegory Gray. Allegory Gray, the new album from Push Puppets, is now available. Power Papaholic says the songwriting is never predictable and it often shows flashes of brilliance. The 180-gram translucent purple vinyl, gorgeous, can be, per- can be purchased, lots of peas, can be purchased at pushpuppets.net. So I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that I, I like doing things on site, different events. I like kind of taking Carcon Carney on the road. And to that end, I love every year covering Riot Fest. Riot Fest is such a thrill for me. Just that nonstop wall to wall interview after interview. It's it's an adrenaline rush. And I get to talk to all kinds of interesting people from across the musical spectrum. A lot of punk rock, but across the musical spectrum. And a couple of years ago, I was able to interview The Who, the Mongolian band The Who, the H.U. This was September 15th, 2019 at Riot Fest, episode 257. It was right after their first ever Chicago performance, which was awesome. As I recall, I think the back-to-back was Masked Intruder on one stage, and the second Masked Intruder was over. It was The Who. It was just, what what a great afternoon that was. Anyway, they were touring behind their first album, The Garrig, and I was able to interview the band. Now, this is an unusual clip in that it relies on a translator, and you're going to hear a lot of Mongolian in this, but I just thought this was super cool. It was my chat with the Who at Riot Fest. Yeah, you know, like uh, uh, we know that Americans love us, and uh, on social media, you know, we see you know how how much support we get from the Americans, and this is the uh, first uh, American uh, big festival we're playing. You know, actually the second uh, uh, of uh, because the first uh, no third, right? Uh, we had like only three. Uh, concerts here so far so uh, this is the first uh, big festival so uh, we are so so honored uh, to be here because you know like uh, these American fans just uh, chanting who who even though we're here first time uh-huh. and uh, we can't believe you know uh, how much love and support we're seeing from the fans okay, and that's what I was gonna say it's amazing you're performing these songs no one knows the words. No one understands lyrically what's happening, but they're completely behind you. They're, they are. It, this is one of those things where music transcends language. Music moves people, and you don't need to know the words. That's got to be pretty cool to experience performing on stage. To be a sexy, what just in Homo Swish, the Tanasi, he's talking to George Homotanda, he did all Jacques to book the Tanasi art and get injured. So, everything that you watch, just in Becky Header. 
хил хязгаар гэж байдаг юм байна. Ямар ч хүнийг давтан байна гэж би ойлгосон юм. yeah, you know, uh, we know that we speak a different language, but uh, when we uh, make this music and when we perform, we got so much heart into it. And because of this uh, music and this magic thing, you know, people can understand everything we're trying to say. And uh, we uh, try to uh, deliver uh, love over our country and uh, this big energy and goodness, you know, through our music. And we want to share it with everybody, even though you speak Mongolian. And the final clip, clip number 10 on episode 800, is courtesy of Steve Silver's new book, High and Outside. High and Outside, you can see Steve reading from High and Outside Sundays in January at Livewire Lounge. Love that place. Go see Steve reading from High and Outside in January. So the last clip comes from nothing less than a radio Hall of Famer, a broadcast legend here in Chicago, Kevin Matthews. Now, if you know me, you know my history is radio. I, I came up in Chicago radio working at places like Q101 and WXRT and The Loop and WGN. Throughout my career, I was very aware of the long shadow of Kevin Matthews. He, he, along with a handful of others, did it all before us all. They did it better, more memorably. Kevin is one of the best, and he's so effortlessly charming and funny. It was really, it was just cool to be able to sit down and talk to him. He, to, to be in a situation where I was a contemporary of his, which just seems ridiculous to even say. But Kevin Matthews, this was episode uh, 597 recorded in April of 2021. And certainly Kevin's not the only broadcaster I've talked to. Um, I'll probably hit on episode 700 in my 2022 retrospective, where I talked to a bunch of Q101 coworkers. I've had Gary Meyer on the show, Johnny Mars, Pat Tomasulo, Marcus Lashock, Tim Virgin, lots of lots of broadcasters. Uh, but Kevin, Kevin was, a, this was an especially cool one to do. You know, Kev, if there were a Mount Rushmore of Chicago radio, your your generously sized head would be right there yeah. on it, and it is big. It is uh, it's an Irish horse head. <laughs> I uh, it is it's it's a trait. It's it just the older I get, the bigger uh, a Clydesdale must have originated from Ireland because it is hideous, hideous. So some background for those who inexplicably don't know Kevin Matthews. Uh, he landed in Chicago in 1987. Built his legend working on mighty radio stations like The Loop and WMVP. He did mornings at the long gone WXCD, middays at WCPG. He's an author. He's a podcaster. He's a music fan. Yeah. And that brings us to the present, more or less. And you're celebrating six years 
that doesn't seem it doesn't seem like six years well here's the thing about podcasts and you know this people yeah. start podcasts all the time i think 10 podcasts have started since we started talking tonight yeah. but no one ever lasts more than three or six months they realize right. pretty quickly right holy shit this is a lot of work and i'm not making a lot of money i'm out yeah no I, and you know podcasting's not new and i actually started podcasting the first podcast is when i got fired at abc which is um wow that was it's 21 years ago you know you you the i've always embraced technology mm -hmm. and i i remember the internet and i knew the trojan horse and i witnessed the death of radio through satellite radio when they took advertising why are you listening to this station when you could be listening to 5000 we don't play commercials i'm like well, okay, great. We're going to be dead in five years. And the, the Trojan yeah. horse, the calls coming from inside the house. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. So we made it through 10 memorable moments of Carcon Carne. And again, not a definitive list, not the ultimate list that, that would be crazy to even suggest. Plenty of highlights throughout 800 episodes. These are just 10 of them. And I, I thank you for listening and or watching. I'm recording this the day before Thanksgiving. Obviously, it's long past Thanksgiving as you're watching and listening, uh, but it's that moment in time where you can't help but take inventory of what you're grateful for and what you're thankful for. I, I'm grateful that I'm able to do this, that, you're, that you watch this and pay attention to, to what I do here on Carcone Carney. It's not lost on me. I, I'm incredibly uh, humbled that you made it even this far in this episode and i'll keep doing them lots more on the way and i mentioned this earlier in the show I, i'm rethinking the entire advertising model for podcasting or at least podcasting on carcon carne I, I think the traditional chasing the the big whales is is stupid it's a fool's errand and you can be so much more effective and so much more entertaining by engaging with smaller independent brands and i think that's the move starting in January. Stay tuned for that, especially if you have your own podcast or if you've written something cool or if you have a, a pop-up shop or an online shop or you have a not-for-profit, you, you want to market for not a lot of money, I think I can help you moving forward. Anyway, thank you for helping me get to 800. I hope that you have an amazing holiday season. And if you like this episode, please let a friend know. You can listen to it on carconcarney.com. Watch it on the, the usual places and listen to it on all the other usual places. Thank you.